Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name is Eric, if you don't know me. And if you're new, we just want to say welcome uh, online and in person. We'd love to connect with you and help you connect to our church and the courtyard. We have a gift and uh, an ability to answer any questions you might have. Uh, just one quick announcement to make sure uh, you're praying through. I know we're going to Israel in 2024 as a church, and so we'd love for you to join us and just uh, kind of take a three-dimensional look at the Bible and see the geography and the context, uh, be able to just have an even deeper trust and faith that God's Word is true and, and the things really happen that say it happened. And so uh, just look and pray about that. You can sign up online. Um, also, I just want to make sure that we're mindful and prayerful for, for, uh, for Turkey as we look at what's going on in the news and just the earthquake and the, the death toll. And it's all, always my prayer. You know, we want people to be comforted and loved and served, but greater than that is that they would find Christ in tragedy. Uh, that in tragedy, they would um, kind of come to a place and say, man, I need help. I need more. And that they'd find Jesus in the process. And we want to pray for them, uh, pray for the church as they minister in that context. And then last, uh, we just want to pray for our kids up at Hume Lake. I don't know if you know, we sent about like 108 uh, people up there from our church. And we have, you know, kids raised in church from kids who've never been to church, never been to camp. And so we just want to pray for them uh, for safety, the gospel be preached, kids would grow in their faith, kids would come to Christ. Um, but, you know, more than that, I just want you to think through this. Um, it's kind of my introduction slash prayer request at the same time is uh, sometimes people will say, man, I just love camp. It's so magical. And so this would be kind of what I want you just to think through, is that camp is not magical. Hume Lake is not magical. Um, but there's something special, and I want you to think through this is why. Is those kids go up the mountain, there's no cell phone coverage, and, and that's not the only reason this is awesome, right? But they're detached from all the pressure of being down here. The pressure of school, the pressure of parents, the pressure... Uh, of sports, of peers, and they wake up in the morning, they open their Bibles, they sing, they talk about Jesus, they hang out together. At night, they open their Bibles, they pray, they sing, they talk about Jesus, and they go to bed. Um, and they have fun in between, right? I, I think our high school group, the boys are in the finals for broom hockey. We're excited. So there's fun, there's competition. Um, but all of that pressure, just it, it stays down here. And they're able just to Deuteronomy 6, wake up in the morning, sing to the Lord. They're able to open their Bibles. They're able to communicate and be. And it's just a glimpse at what happens when we intentionally take some time and just keep Jesus the highest priority. And essentially what our text is going to do today is say, man, if you, Jesus would just be your highest value, what you love most, it's kind of what it looks like a little bit. Because the hard part's when they come back down from camp. And then all the pressure and all the temptation and all the things, now it competes with Jesus and it makes everything so hard. And what this text is gonna do is hopefully just encourage us. It's just, if you've, if you've ever felt what it's like to consistently love Jesus, if you could just do that as your highest priority and your highest value, things will go well for you and it'll be what's best for you. So let's pray and we'll jump right into Matthew chapter six. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you and we just pray that you would speak and I wouldn't, um, that your words would, would just come across and, and into our hearts and into our minds and shape us and teach us and draw us close, uh, that we would have a passion to lay aside the things and the cares and the priorities and the materials of this world, uh, just to love you more and more and more. 
Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 6. Uh, hopefully what you're seeing is Jesus is trying to make this huge emphasis and kind of reteach and reemphasize a true understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And he starts Matthew 5 with, hey, you think sin is just about the action. He says, no, sin actually starts in the heart. Anger in the heart uh, is, is, is similar to murder. Hate in the heart, murder. Adultery is in the heart. It's not just in the act. And then he moves. He says, okay, now I want you to understand, practicing Christian things, like practicing religion, practicing being right with God, it's not just in the act. It's in the heart. What is the heart and the motivation behind these things? And so he's walking through, and then he goes through. Now he's going to transition to what is the heart captured by? What is the heart love? And so he walks through basically these, these five and six. Where does your heart center on? What drives it? What causes it to wake up? What makes it alive? What's the root cause of your heart? Your driving motivation. So this last piece, I, I want you to see, um, it's not a slap against money. It's not saying you can't be rich. It's not saying you can't love things in your life. But what it is saying is you can't love anything more than you love Jesus. You essentially can't take good things and make them ultimate things. Your heart can't live and beat for anything other than Christ. And so that's what's going to be the challenge of this text. And, and hopefully, hear me on this, is that you don't walk away saying like, oh man, the sermon just slapped me. Hopefully you see this text, like, no, it's encouraging you. Saying don't waste your time pursuing finding your worth and value in things that will rot, rust, and die. Find your value and worth in Christ because you're going to be with him forever. So it's actually an encouragement to say, this is going to hurt you and it won't help you. It will only let you down because everything in the world ends up in a graveyard or a junkyard. Only Christ is for forever. And only with him will you be forever. So hopefully you see that encouragement. So let's hop in. What does it say? Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth um, where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. And, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth uh, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So you, you have this kind of like, hey, where is your treasure? And so in this context, treasure is going to be whatever it is you value, whatever it is you care about deeply, and you care about it so much that you would protect it. So in a Jewish setting, they're, they're kind of talking about, you know, a precious metal, like a silver or a gold, or a precious jewel, something of great worth, and you don't want anyone to know about it or find it, so you maybe hide it in your house, you dig it a hole, you bury it in a field, and so it's something you care about so much that you protect it. You don't want anyone to mess with it. And it brings you a source of comfort or a source of joy when you think about it. And so when you think through that, you're like, that doesn't really, I don't know that I look at my money and go, ooh, you're so amazing. You, you know, and you actually worship the object. Or you look at, you know, don't let money be your master. And you, you know, put a stack of bills down. And you're like, master, what would you have me do? It's not that, it's that it's what the money allows you to do and the money provides you to do, making it the root cause. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, there's a guy I grew up with and he grew up in the church and uh, he, was, he was like a chain smoker. 
And so to mess with him, I'd always like pour vinegar on his cigarettes and then he'd keep smoking them. I know it's a good friend. And then he would, he would still smoke them. So like I would go throw away his cigarettes and he would freak out. He would like lose his mind because he couldn't find them. And I'm like, dude, I've seen you wreck your car, wreck your jeans. I've seen you lose your skateboard, you know, run over your basketball. You never care. But these cigarettes, somehow they undo you. I'm like, what's your deal? He's like, Eric, you don't understand. My home life is so messed up and so jacked up that this cigarette is my one breath, my saving peace, my sense of calmness. He says, I need that to survive. And so sure enough, we'd be at work and it'd be time for a break and he'd be antsy and go nuts and scratching himself. Then you get a smoke break, calm him down. You see, when that's your source of comfort, one cigarette turns into a pack a day, turns into two pack a day, two packs a day turns into cigarettes plus alcohol. You do the math. Well, what feeds that ability? Money. Money. So what did he have to do? He had to work to feed the addiction so the addiction could numb the feelings and bring comfort. And as the feelings kept getting harder to numb, he had to work harder. Well, as you can imagine, it's hard to keep a job as an alcoholic and addicted to cigarettes. So then you lose the ability to buy the things that provide the calmness and things fall apart. And so money is not saying literally as the object is worshiped, it's what the money allows you to do is essentially that becomes your treasure. So as you ask, what is my treasure? It's kind of think through what makes you feel safe at night? What makes you have joy? What causes you to feel good, feel like you have value? What would you protect at all costs? Maybe another way to look at it is what, if, if we were to take it away for two months, you would freak out. You're like, there's no way that I could live without, you know, working my job. There's no way I could, you know, go without this activity. There's no way I could go without my kids or my spouse. Some of you are like, two months, take them, right? That's not your idol. You're in good, right? You're good. Because you're like, take them. I don't want them. It's just havoc. You know, for some people, no, 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 you can't take them. You can't take them. They're my everything. They're my, so you see kind of the connection there is, is if you were to take it away, it would undo you because you find value and purpose and you need it because it soothes you, comforts you. Uh, to the opposite, ask the question, just think about this. If you were to take away prayer for two months, like, I don't know that I'd really notice. Reading your Bible, can't read your Bible for two months. Oh, I don't know. You know, not going to church for two months. You're like, please, please, right? No, would it matter to you? And this is what he's getting at. Where is your treasure? What do you value? And Jesus, Jesus has to be the highest treasure, the highest value. And here's what I want you to understand. It's not saying that any of these things are bad. It's not bad to have money, but it's bad when you love your money more than you love Jesus. It's bad when you love the hobby, the activity, the whatever it is, if you have an addiction, whatever that is, it's bad. And it's even more bad when you love it more than you love Jesus. And so this is, this is about prioritizing. What is your absolute treasure? You think about the, the scripture that John read, it's so, it's so fitting. It, it's saying that, that Jesus is greater than the surpassing worth of anything else. He surpasses everything else. So it has the idea that you actually have stuff, you have it, and it's okay, but it fails in comparison to Jesus. 
And so what this passage is doing, it's actually doing us a favor. It's saying you can love all of these things, but you need to understand anything in this world can either be stolen or it can be rotten or it can be destroyed. We've learned that in the last two years, haven't we? Your bank account can look really small really fast. In an economic crisis, in inflation, you can be healthy one minute and unhealthy the next minute. And saying, do not put all of your heart and soul and effort into these things because they either die or they can be stolen or they can be taken. Only Jesus is with you for forever and ever and ever. So what is he getting at? Is that you, it's not saying don't be rich. It's saying if you have money, you view your money, you view your material as open-handed, meaning God, whatever you would want, take it and use it. It's yours. And if it's gone, that might hurt, that might be okay, but it doesn't end me because I have Christ. My sins are paid for. Heaven is my home. I'm centered. It's going to be okay. So you have a 2008 economic crisis. Oh, wow, we got to change some things in our life, but it doesn't end me. I'm not undoing. It doesn't make my whole world go away. Your job, whatever it is, if it goes away, you're like, I'm okay, I have Christ. He's my true treasure. And you, you begin to kind of see this in Acts 2, the first church is formed. It says this is how they operated, Acts 2.45. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So God is saying is, hey, I've given you you know, whatever it is, money or material. Oh yeah, I need you to give that to that person. So he gives it, says, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. It says they're taking care of each other. And oddly enough, what you notice is when people do that, God will take and provide back to that person because they're saying, God, it's yours. I'm just stewarding what's yours. Instead of saying, this is all mine. You're in need. Well, that's your problem. That's your problem because I love being able to wrap my hands around everything I have and it makes me feel comfortable, it makes me feel safe, it makes me feel whole. And saying that is when that is our treasure, you're not using it as the Lord's and you love your treasure more than you love Jesus. And it's not just saying that's bad, it's saying it's gonna fail you, it's gonna hurt you and it's gonna end up letting you down. Because all of those things can be taken away in a moment's notice. And as the passage progresses, it's not only going to let you down, but it's actually going to take away from the one relationship that can help you the most, your relationship with Jesus. Because your attention is going to move to masters, right? It's going to move from Jesus and it's going to go to your other treasure. And you're going to want to protect it and feed it and have it grow and have more and more and more. And so to think through that, and again, it's not saying... You got to really think through what is the treasure I have? It looks different for everyone. Some of you might be able to afford a really expensive car. And you're just like, you know what? It's just stuff. If something happens to it, that's fine. I don't really care. But there's another guy, same car, same bank account. If a kid sneezes, he's like, get away from my car. You're going to hurt my car. He's like, you know how much this paint job is? And you know the acid and saliva? I think you just, you know what I mean? He can't handle it. It's his idols, it's his treasure, it's his joy. And so for one person, that might be like the worst thing for them to have because it's going to take all their attention and all their focus to keep and protect the treasure. Where the other guy's like, I don't care. Yeah, gets hit by a semi. It's like, oh, okay. Guess I shouldn't have that car. 
There's not an attachment to it. So it's not necessarily the stuff, it's the heart behind the stuff. How do you treat the stuff? How do you process the stuff? How do you protect the stuff? Whose is it? Is it God's? Is it yours? And it's trying, again, this passage, hopefully very encouraging. Don't put all your heart's love and affection in things because they can disappear, they can be stolen, they can go away. So now he moves through, how how do you have Jesus be your treasure? How do you keep him as your heart's highest value? How do you do that? Well, it starts with protecting your eyes. How do your eyes work? Okay, so now he moves on. Verse 21, for your treasure is, there your heart will also, or be also. 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, so what are you saying? Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so this, this has really two meanings. I, I think I read way too much um, to figure this out, but I, I like where I, I landed. Um, if you guys are in school, you're familiar with a double entendre. If you don't know what that is, ask Pastor Andy or Dave, they'll tell you. Um, essentially, in layman's terms, double meaning. There's two meanings, because people fight about the meaning. I think the meaning works both ways. There's one argument to say, what is a healthy eye? They would say, well, a healthy eye is that you have a singular eye. You have one eye, meaning you have a loyal eye, and your eye focuses on Jesus. That fits with the next verse, that you don't have two masters. So it's getting at that you don't have two eyes. You have one eye on Jesus and one eye over here. And the eye over here is looking, and it wanders, and then it focuses. It's that your eye's not divided. It's one. But then what do you do about the verse above? Well, there's also a Jewish saying that would say, you have evil eyes. It means you're greedy. You're stingy with your money. You don't have a generous heart. Well, how does that fit? Well, that fits your treasure being in heaven and so that you view your earthly treasure as whatever is all God's. And if God wants me to give it, I'll give it. Uh, If God's gifted you with time, your time is the Lord's. Your, your, Your talent is the Lord's. Your treasure is the Lord's. Whatever it is, you're generous with it. So an evil eye would mean greedy. Well, that fits the preceding verses. So I think both are true. So what he's saying is, what are you feeding your eye with? Is your eye focused, your primary focus on Christ? Or, or is he kind of one eye here, but you got your other eyes on? Well, look at what they have, and look at what they have, and look at what they have. And that kind of gets back to what are you feeding your eyes with? And this isn't a bash on social media, but if all you're looking at is, oh, look at what they have, and look at what they have, and look at what they have, and your heart now is growing with with greed and you're coveting and you're jealous and you're angry and you're bitter because you're just seeing all of these things and all of a sudden the eye goes off and the, and the eyes are going here and it's, I want this, I need this, I need this, I need this. The same is gonna put darkness in your heart and that darkness is gonna be bitter towards the Lord and say, God, why don't I have that? Why do they get the vacation there? Why are their kids so perfect? Why, did, why does everything work out for them? And there's an anger towards the Lord because you have two masters because you're serving the master of, I wish I had what they have. So it's saying your health comes from a singular eye focused on Christ. That means you're praying, God, everything I have is yours. What do you want me to do? You're reading the scripture. God, what would you have for me? What do I need to change? What's inside of me that needs to go away? What do I need to do more of, do less of? You're coming to church, you're singing, you're giving God your affection, you're praising. 
your eye singular fixed. The next part is generosity, right? Do you have a generous heart? Meaning you realize Matthew 5, poor in spirit, you were dead in sin. And without Christ, you wouldn't be going to heaven. Your sins wouldn't be paid for. So the fact that you are breathing is a miracle. It's mercy. And you're going to heaven. That's grace, a gift you don't deserve. So anything you have is his. So when you see people in need, how can I help you know Jesus? Oh, well, helping you with your medical bills, bringing you into my house, helping you, uh, you know, bring your family together, whatever, whatever it is. How can I help you? You have a generous heart because you understand what the Lord has done for you. That makes you understand that your treasure is in heaven, not your treasure in, I got to protect this and I got to keep them away. You don't see people as competition. Well, I can't help them. Then they'll be better than me or then they'll be on my level. I don't want them to have the same car as me, have the same house as me, live in my neighborhood, go to my church, be at my kid's birthday. You have a stingy heart, greedy heart. Build the empire, keep the people out. Generous heart, all I have is the Lord's. I wanna help you and I wanna help you and I wanna help you. I have Jesus, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. So he walks, this is how you keep your treasure is by how you protect your eyes. Generous heart, singly focused, double entendre. You keep your eyes focused, you keep your heart generous. All I have is his. I'm just stewarding it. Then the last piece, the last piece is that you wouldn't have two masters. Now, this is gonna be hard to think through, but I want you to, to, to think through this, is that essentially when you have two masters, it's saying that you can't please both of them. You're gonna essentially give one your best and you're gonna give one your leftovers. And say, your master, your, your, your master has to be Jesus. You see this play out in marriage. If you've ever seen one spouse that just loves the kids so much, just loves them so much, and what happens to the other spouse is they hate the kids because the kids have stolen the spouse. This is, why don't you love me like that? And so the very thing they love, they hate because it's taking away their spouse. If you've ever seen two people married and one of them is in an affair, often the one having an affair will hate the spouse because they're taking away time with their one they're having the affair with. See, eventually the heart will attach and the heart will hate whatever takes away from what the heart wants. So saying you can't have two masters. You ever seen a spouse, a wife, hate a man's work? You say, oh yeah, he's cheating on me. And you're like, what? Oh, with his job. Hates the job. Why? Because the husband's always there. Husband's always there because the heart wants to be there. And so what ends up happening is when your heart's attached to one, you give your leftovers to the other. You give your leftovers. Whatever you have left, your attention, your time, your energy, your finances, it's whatever I have left over, I give to the other master. And I hope it pleases the master. But you can't give your best to both. So what it's saying is you can't have master money and master Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't do other things, that you don't have a job, that you don't have a family, that you don't have hobbies. But the master, the master is Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants, 
Anything that gets in the way is his. Think of it like this. If you're, if you're thinking about tithing or giving, it's my best goes to Jesus, and then we live around the rest. Instead of what do we want to live around and whatever I have left over, if any, goes to Jesus. Do we see the difference? That goes in your finances, but that also goes in your time. This is all the things we want to do. Do we have any time to go to church? Maybe. Do I have time to read my Bible? Kind of. I could fit Jesus in on Tuesday. Maybe Bible reading on Friday. Maybe if it doesn't conflict with fill in the blank. Or is it, these are all the things, I got to read my Bible, I got to pray, I got I to praise God, I got to sing to God. If you are the one who asks me this question, this is for you. Why does church have to be on Sunday? It gets in the way of everything. Couldn't we put it on Tuesday or Wednesday or like, you know, no one's doing anything Thursday at 3 a.m. Like, why don't we do that? I don't know why God picked Sunday. I know he's six in one, one day of dedication, the church meets, it's his day. Right? And all the days are his. I get it. But it's saying, what is your priority? So this is, I set it for the Lord, and the rest goes to everybody else. So it's your money. It's your time. It's your talent. Some of you are so gifted. And you use it on all of You're saying, God, no, you're the one who created with me this gift. How do I serve you first? And then move into the secondary and the third and the fourth. Um, here would be one thing is, does God get your leftover attention, your leftover energy? So when it comes time to pray, you're done. You have no focus. When it comes time to read your Bible, you have no ability to think and process and meditate and ask him what he would have. I mean, I'm so glad you're here, but how many times do you come and you can't sing and you can't listen because everything's so chaotic and crazy? It's just, you're just showing up. And I'd rather you be here than somewhere else. But again, the question is, is this maybe an area where you need to stop giving God your leftovers? Give him your best. You come ready to sing. You come ready to learn. You come ready to share. Because he's your highest treasure. I'm going to challenge the guys with this one a little bit, but think about this. Does he get your highest level of attention? Men, hear this. This is a compliment. I want to redirect the compliment, though. Men do a good job of paying attention to detail. As much as women say they don't, the problem is they don't pay attention to detail about the things they care about. Okay? There's going to be a moment today in a football game where they're going to cheer really loud. You're going to be like, it's a man catching a ball. You're like, honey, you don't understand. It's a 300-pound lineman dropping in a defensive coverage, catching a ball, acting like a 200-pound you know, guy. You're like, who cares? You don't understand the complexity of what just happened. See, men pay attention to detail, but they pay attention to detail about the things they care about. If you would take that attention and apply it to Jesus, you wouldn't need a blind man to see or a lame man to walk to celebrate Christ. You would see Saul become Paul and be like, oh my gosh, you were dead in sin and you became alive. I'm a man that, that, that didn't used to want to read his Bible and I want to read it more. God's working in my heart. I want to be patient with my kids. I want to be loving towards my spouse. You, see, you just see the detail of what God is doing. All of a sudden you have more reasons to praise God because you're giving your full attention. Not the leftovers after work and hobbies and family and whatever you have left, you throw at Jesus and you're like, cool, the church made its budget. 
The pastor said something, I think, and John was really excited. It was cool. It's a good Sunday. Because you have no capacity to pay attention, no capacity to detail, no capacity because your treasure is elsewhere. See, this is what Jesus is making right. It's the same concept in the Old Testament. They would give him their lambs and their goats, but it was the sick lamb. It was the deformed goat. They were giving their leftovers. And this is where Jesus, he says, I don't want your sacrifices. They're your leftovers. Just give me your absolute best. Give me your absolute best. Why? Because that's part of showing that you treasure and you trust Christ. You're taking the top, you've got to think, if you're a farmer, you're giving your best cow, your best lamb, that's your moneymaker. You're giving the moneymaker to the Lord and he's saying, I'm going to trust you that, that, that you're still going to provide, you're still going to be here, you're still going to take care of everything. I'm giving you my best and I orient my rest around what's left. Saying you can't have two masters. Being a Christian is going to cost you. How many times has being a Christian cost you a friendship, cost you a job? Because Jesus is your treasure and you will not change who he is. You will not change your love for him. You will not change your priority. Or how many times you're like, oh yeah, I don't need to read my Bible. Oh yeah, I can do that. I don't need to pray. Oh yeah, we can do that. We don't need to, we don't need to go to church. See, when it comes to the cost, Usually it's your relationship with God that pays the price, not the world, not the material, not the other things. Saying you can't serve two masters. Now again, it's not saying you can't have stuff and you can't have hobbies and you can't have fun and just love Christ more and be willing to give those things up if he asks. You know, this is sometimes a great missionary text where they'll they'll see, you know what, I've met men and they've, just down at missions conferences and he'll meet somebody. Like I was a stock trader on Wall Street making $800,000 million and God said, no, you need to go plant a church in Papua New Guinea because that's why I gave you that talent. That's why I gave you that treasure. And, and it's saying that, this is what I'm getting at. I'll give that up to go do this because that's what God wants me to do. Was it wrong that he worked at Wall Street? Was it wrong that he made money? And the whole point is that he'd be willing to give it up to go do something else that God had called him to do. And so it's holding things loosely with your hands and saying, God, all of this is yours. The fact that I'm breathing is grace, it is mercy. All of the money I have, it's yours. My kids are yours. My health is yours. My time is yours. You're my greatest treasure. You're the only thing my eye is fixed on. You're my master. Whatever you want, I'll do. I'll leave you with this, this thought. It is not only, it's not only making a master anything other than Christ bad for us, because graveyard, junkyard, it goes away, it, it fails, it dies. It's not healthy for the for the person you're worshiping. Matt Papa has a great quote. And essentially, he's saying the only thing that doesn't crumble under the weight of worship is God. Here's what I mean. You get a parent 
And they worship their kids. And this is what I mean by worship their kids. Something in their past broke and it didn't work. They were beat up in high school. They weren't good enough. They didn't get good enough grades. They didn't get high enough in sports. They were unpopular. There's some broken thing. They weren't loved by their parents. And they, they look at that child and they say, you're gonna be what makes all of this right. You're gonna be what fixes everything in my past. So you're gonna be a superstar. You're gonna be an academic star. You're gonna be this. And everything, all this pressure comes on the kid. And it's you're gonna make me whole from what made me broken and shattered in the past. Do you guys know this? Have you seen this? Kids are not meant to be your idol. The same works with your spouse. I'm married to so-and-so. They'll make it right. They'll make it amazing. And have you ever seen this? All about the spouse. I'm married to them. That's my, that's my, that's my. And they're just presenting it, presenting it. And what happens is you resent them because they can't fulfill the thing you need. They can't make you whole. It's not just bad for us. It's bad for the other person. Only one who's worthy and can handle worship is Jesus. He's perfect. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He's the creator. He's the one who paid for our sins. And so it's not just God slapping you and saying, oh, money, it's evil. He's saying, no, the world will let you down. People can't be your Jesus. Jesus needs to be your treasure. You need to orient your life all around him and then figure out how everything else becomes a part of it. Because it's the only thing you get to take to heaven. It's Jesus. There's nothing you own that's going with you. So get used to him being your highest treasure because when you get to heaven, he'll be your only treasure. And guess what? You won't even care that you don't have the other things. Start getting used to that now. It's the greatest gift and the greatest blessing to the church. And so my prayer is that you would see that as a great encouragement, okay? Some questions for us to ask ourselves. Why does everything crumble under the weight of worship except God? Simple answer, it wasn't created to be worshiped. We see this in the financial world. Oh, the economy falls. Oh, my kids. They either fall or they leave. You ever seen a mom when the kids leave and she doesn't know who she is? It's because the kids were the idol. You're still a Christian. I mean, it's bad they left, but you're still a Christian. You ever see a man lose his job, doesn't know who he is? What am I gonna do if I don't work? You're a Christian. You love Christ. You pray, you read your Bible, you serve him, you serve him faithfully, and you go find money for your family. You work it in and out. Work at Costco. Do what you gotta do until you can get to a better and a better. But you know who you are. You have Christ. Okay? It's meant to crumble because it's not meant to be worshiped. It's an easy way to say it. Two, what are good things you've turned into ultimate things? It's like, man, maybe I love that too much. And for some of you, maybe you need to not do it anymore. Like I said with the car, some people shouldn't have the fancy car because it just owns them. Some people shouldn't go shopping maybe. Some people shouldn't be on social media. Some people shouldn't watch sports. Some people, fill in your blank, because it just, takes your affection too far. And it's not that it's an evil thing, it's just a good thing that you made an ultimate thing and it gets in the way of Christ. And so until you can put Christ back as the ultimate treasure, that shouldn't be your thing. Three, what is a current treasure that shouldn't be? 
something you just value, you protect. You know, when I was uh, coming through college, the, the one thing they kept pounding on, I think my generation was like the first to be coddled and grow up in the bubble. And so they're always like, you know, they call this the trophy generation, which, because we all got trophies and, you know, I don't believe in that. I think you should earn your trophy. But anyway, it's like, you're looking through this. And so what kind of created was a bunch of college kids in a Christian college. And they're like, you guys are so scared and you're so afraid. And, and the sermon would always kind of pan out like this. It would be like, look, you've been told your whole life the safest place for you to be is in the hands of God. And he's like, I'm here to tell you that's an absolute lie. The most dangerous place for you to be is in the hands of God. Look at the Apostle Paul doing the will of the Lord, shipwrecked, beaten, snake bitten, stranded, hated, spit on. Does that sound safe to you? And we're all like, no. no. You need to learn this. Faith is at the altar of safety. Faith is your sacrifice to the altar of safety. And they're saying, Christian, young Christian, you need to be only if God sends me to that person, they might be scary, they might be different, but I need to share. God might be telling me, hey, invite that person in, help them out, they don't look like you. It's okay if they come to your kid's birthday party. It's okay if they come to your church. It's okay if he sends you far. It's okay if he sends you around something different. What's maybe something, a treasure that shouldn't be from safety to wealth to people, something that you've made a treasure that it shouldn't be. It's a good thing, but it shouldn't be a treasure because you need to open up your life and say, God, whatever you would, whatever you'd want, whatever you want, whatever you'd want. Four, how can you treasure Christ more? So this is maybe thinking, man, I don't give him my best. How, do, how can I make sure that when I'm praying, it's at the peak of my mind? When I'm reading my Bible, it's at a time where I'm focused, I'm locked in. How can I come ready to sing and praise and, and just be thankful for what Christ did? How can I come maybe give more money or give more time? How can I just treasure him more? And that's the rest of our life, giving more and more of ourselves, treasuring him more and more, and treasuring the world less and less and less and less. That's sanctification, right? Five, how can you be more open-handed with your possessions like Job? Let me read Job. It's so beautiful. And this, and this is essentially what we're trying to say, is the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but both end with worship. God gives you some amazing thing. Thank you. God takes it. Thank you because he's your treasure. And whatever's being taken isn't your treasure. That's why you're able to say thank you when he takes it and thank you when he gives it, because the thing you value most is him. And the economy can't change him, the government can't change him, your health can't change him, your spouse, your kids, nothing can take away the forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven, and the comfort of Christ knowing you fully loving you fully, and wanting to live with you fully forever. Nothing changes that. And so at the heart of it, he's saying, Christian, part of living is that your heart would treasure him most. Saying whatever is given and taken, I bless you, I praise you either way, because you're my highest treasure and I'll always have you. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. Uh, we praise you. And we thank you for Jesus. Um, there's so many things that compete with our affection. Um, it's our prayer that we would reorient our affections. 
you would be the highest value and say, okay, what does it take for me to love Christ? And then arrange the rest of our life around what's left. God, help us not just to run through life trying to fill all these holes and say, oh, whatever's left over, I'll give to Jesus. That we would hold you high, love you high, and esteem you high so you get our best in our gifts, in our treasure, in our time, in our attention, in our focus. You would be the highest, highest love, highest value. And so our prayer that we would go into a time of worship and just sing with the true core conviction that there's nothing greater or better than Jesus. You are the only one who is eternal. You're the only one who paid for our sins. You're the only one who took us from death to life. You're the only one who can fill every need. And for that, you are the only one worthy of worship. So be with us as we sing. May we sing with full hearts that truly mean it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.